Welcome to episode 11 of Lifting the Kilt on Men's Health, a podcast series run by Men's Health Down Under. Each episode, we focus on a different area of men's health. And today, along with our regular guest, Brad Butt, pharmacist and founder of Men's Health Down Under, we're really pleased to be joined by Jamie Boulder, who is a specialist men's health physiotherapist from Set2 Physio in Canberra. Today, Jamie, along with Brad, will be discussing with us the importance of physiotherapy for prostate issues which from previous episodes we know affects a large proportion of Australian males, especially as they age. Hi again, Brad, and a special welcome to Jamie. G'day. Hello. Before we get started, I thought it'd be good to run through a bit of background on Jamie. Jamie has a master's degree in physiotherapy and has a special interest in working with men undergoing radical prostatectomy surgery, as well as men experiencing erectile dysfunction, chronic pelvic pain, and Peyronie's disease. Jamie's approach to men's health physiotherapy is not only about the pelvic floor, but more importantly, the whole person. His mantra is to treat the person, not just the symptom. In a previous life, Jamie was a teacher, so was always aiming to give men the knowledge to help themselves move forward in their recovery pathway. As such, he feels education is the keystone to this approach. Lastly, Jamie tells me he's the father of three young men who all think it's funny that their dad gets to draw penises for a living. Today, Jamie will be talking about how we can help men with various prostate issues. Jamie, I just ran through your brief bio, but before we launch into the detail of our topic, would you mind letting our listeners know a bit more about the personal and professional journey which has led you to this area of specialisation in men's health issues? Oh, thanks, Warwick. Yes, um, well, my little journey's been probably a little bit different to most uh, physios. Uh, previous to being a physio, I was a high school teacher, and an art teacher to be exact, and I did pass physio, so that's okay. So to get to this point, uh, when I started working as a physio, working in a general physiotherapy clinic, not seeing very many, well, I would have been seeing men's health related patients, but not knowing they were, having moved on to that to work in a sporting area with cyclists. Now, uh, it was until I came across a couple of cyclists who were exhibiting pelvic related pain, which they felt was related to their saddle type or their position, that, we start, that I started to understand more that we need to know more about how the pelvis related to the bike itself. That led me to look into uh, more research related to uh, the cyclists, the pelvis, and eventually end up in the men's health world. Uh, a, a cyclist came through one day and he was having raging pelvic pain while he was riding his bike. So after a bit of a chat and encouraging him to go back to his GP, next thing he's had a PSA test, which is elevated, and off he goes. So down the pathway of a um, prostate-related um, surgery. And, uh, yeah, he, months later he came back in and was telling me about this whole journey and where it started, and I just knew this is the place I needed to be. It's interesting, uh, Jamie Brad here. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting hearing that story, and I've, I've known you for a little while now and, and seen some of that journey, and, and, you know, you've obviously spent a lot more time um, upskilling and educating yourself into into men, men's pelvic floor physiotherapy, but that would have been a real eye opener for you as a as a physiotherapist and as a healthcare practitioner to see that that pelvic pain actually resulted in something as sinister and as serious as it did. Yeah, well, in all honesty, the pelvic pain may not have been related to the prostate, but it was the it was the key to the door in him understanding. I need to go get this checked out. So uh, things that I was doing from a physio perspective weren't working for him and his and his uh, cycling or sporting pursuit. Um, however, just by going that little bit further to put himself in front of his medical practitioner to get further tests really w- was what he needed and that's what he did. So, yeah, it's, um, 
it's it's certainly one of the things I think back on uh, to make sure that we you know we we ask the right questions, and uh, I get to ask those questions more now. Now I work directly related to um, in, in men's health. So Jamie, uh, what have you? So over the over the last little while, you've you've really developed a strong passion for this prostate related work and incontinence related work, erectile related work. What what have you what have you been up to? Like in in, in one minute, what have, what have, what have you been doing to to get yourself to that point? Because I know not all physiotherapists would consider them experts or be comfortable talking about men's men's health. Yes, well, that's been um, probably the uh, the most frustrating thing for my wife. That all I talk about is men's health, uh, penises, and anything related to the pelvis of the the male anatomy, she says you need to start talking about something other related than below the belt. But I'll keep working on that. Vaginas perhaps. No. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, how I got here um, to this point, and it's just purely interest. It's it's knowing that this is the most valuable physio I've ever been involved in as, as a physiotherapist, not, not even the word physio. So um, over the last couple of years, uh, I've done a multiple courses of lots and lots of courses, travelled around Australia, met with, uh, uh, you know, the, I guess the, uh, the go-to physios that are leading education in men's health, like uh, uh, Stuart Baptiste, uh, Craig Ellingham, uh, Joe Milios, you know, name drop, name drop, Tom Harris, um, and really just learnt a lot. And then bringing the other training I've done as a musculoskeletal physio and putting the two together uh, for the men's health patient. So, Jamie, tell me um, when you see, because you obviously see quite a number of, of um, patients who have had prostate issues, when you see them, what, what is it that you're trying to get these guys to do? What is it for our listeners? What, what is it that you're trying so hard to get them to do? And, is, and, and what tips and tricks have you got? Yes, well, uh, an, an initial with me, um, whether they're pre or post, say, for example, a radical prostatectomy, is really about um, helping them, the uh, the male patient to understand they have a pelvic floor, uh, where it's located, what it does. So there's a lot of education involved in those initial phases and ongoing, and it's not just education one way. It's also education from me, how I can best help this person in front of me. Now, I guess that uh, in a nutshell, the pelvic floor um, forms the base to help uh, be continent. But pr- pr- prior to a radical prostatectomy, you've got the prostate, which forms at least four-fifths of that mechanism to be continent. So with a radical prostatectomy, that's removed. Mm. And then we need to work out ways, training techniques, exercises to activate a better pattern to voluntarily use the pelvic floor to remain continent. I didn't realise the, the prostate had such a large impact on continence. That's quite remarkable. And, and as you say, if you're removing four-fifths of it from the person or from the male, then, then absolutely continence is going to be impacted on. Would that be, would that be true to say? Do you ever get patients that don't have incontinence issues? Yes, yes, you do. Yeah, you, you certainly do see men that uh, recover quite well um, from radical prostatectomy that have very limited, I wouldn't say nil incontinence, but limited uh, to the point where there's maybe one pad per day, if not that at all. Yes. Um, I credit uh, Joe Milios, Dr. Joe Milios, for that little four-fifths uh, of the uh, pelvic floor. I, I heard that in a, in a uh, webinar. So, um, yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Dr. Milios. 
interesting to note. And, and, and I guess by the same by the same token, let's be real here with with respect to continents, because I think it's important for the blokes to feel you know, comfortable and, and, and feel like they're not underachieving with their return of continence. What what is what's normal? What would the average patient that's had a prostatectomy expect with, with return of continence? What sort of what sort of time frames are we talking? Yeah, normal. It's a hard one. It's um certainly uh, I always draw a timeline for the men that are undergoing a recovery from a radical prostatectomy and I put three months. So I you know that's my little timeline for me to help them understand what our little pathway uh, might look like, what happens when, and it's all around those indicators of uh, how active they are, um, what's, what's the incontinence like, how heavy it is. Um, some men, you've, you've got a sort of a six-week window or less. Um, others, you're looking much more three months, and then, you know, unfortunately we've got those that extend on further than that. And is, that, is it related to anything particularly, Jamie? Are we, is it related to them not following instructions, be it around their exercise regime or they've done too much, like their cart and bales of hay or, you know, they're back on back working in the workshop? Is it is it related to that sort of stuff or is it is it related to their surgery or is it, you know, accumulation, their general health and well-being in the lead-up to the operation? They weren't in good nick going in, so coming out they're not in great nick. Or is it just accumulation of everything? What- yeah. I, look, research highlights um, that those that undergo a physio program uh, designed with, you know, high-quality targeted exercise will be continent um, in, a, in a shorter time period. We know that. However, clinically, is exactly what you said. Sometimes uh, um, if you've had your surgery, you've had uh, uh, robotic surgery, so you recover quite quickly physically, you feel that you can do a little bit more, so then you do go out and start to dig those plants up or, you know, help out next door, mow the grass, um, you know, throw some rocks over the fence, do whatever. And, uh, yes, the negative effect of that is that you're not ready. Yeah. So um, remember that, that four-fifths of that pelvic floor that was helping you remain continent before through the autonomic nervous system, we can get into that if we need, but that's now lost and you need to ne- learn how to get a, a new pattern. And I often say to the guys that see me, I say it's like we're learning to play a new sport. Unfortunately, no one's told you the rules and you've never seen it before. So we have to start somewhere. So, Jamie, can I ask, just in the in the lead-up, like so if someone's fit and healthy beforehand, do they, in your experience, are you seeing like a, a better outcome afterwards? I mean, and is part of that, say, if you're exercising every day, well, maybe they're more attuned to doing your exercises that you're giving them for the rehab or does the the entry level fitness and health, you know, they've got a good diet, they're not overweight and they're fit, you know, cardiovascularly fit. Does that give a better outcome as well? Yes. It, um, clinically, in my observations, is it's directly um, related that the outcome equals how you went into the surgery. So one of the things that as physios, it may be a little bit delicate, so sometimes urologists will just say it, is that weight loss pre-surgery would be one of the best things they could do. So losing a few kegs, before the surgery date and then maintaining that in the recovery period will help take intra-abdominal pressure off the pelvic floor. So, and, and that's a good thing. So those men that are, you know, in their, um, let's say late 40s, early 50s, undergo a radical prostatectomy and are relatively fit, exercising three times a week, their recovery seems to be, you know, obviously quite good, but they're also very committed too. So their compliance to exercise, when you look at their, you know, sometimes they take really nice running sheets about what they've been doing. Um, they they don't do it one day and leave it the next. There's no way they're doing that. So they're, 
they're the guys that go to the, not the gym, but the pelvic gym, and they make sure that they do their workouts um, as prescribed and, you know, they, they record it as well. So you talk about recording, Jamie, and I know that that's something that not all patients do, but can you enlighten, enlighten us as to what the story is with recording? And I, I assume you're talking about pad weights. What's the, what's the story there? Yeah, so um, uh, pad, uh, post-prostatectomy, sorry, uh, post-prostatectomy, catheters removed, and once the catheter's removed, um, the guys that I help out with, uh, I get them to record their pad weights uh, wet and dry and then the, the difference um, 24 to 48 hours each week. So, and that way that gives us a really good indicator of, of what's the uncontrolled volume uh, that's getting through to the pad. You, you can then start to expand on that and start to um, measure the controlled volume to see what's been retained by the bladder and then, you know, blood pressure steps, everything like that. Mm. But most importantly, I, I need to see, I want to see what that's like because if it's just pads per day, it, it, men can just change pads because they're uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that there's much in it. So six pads per day sounds bad, but it might only equal to two full pads. So, yeah, that's one of the things that I use. This, um, yeah, whether it's on a bit of paper or in an Excel spreadsheet, and I've seen some amazing spreadsheets, ones that I have no idea what's on it until the patient runs me through it. So, yeah, they look pretty good. And in different colours, that's amazing. <laughs> so there's no right or wrong way to do it particularly, but um, the pad weight, so I imagine that would be motivational for the patient too in that, you know, we, we say you shouldn't look back, you should just look forward in life, but but I think that it is motivational for patients to see, you know what, it might have been it might have been three months since the operation, maybe I'm not continent. However, it was a lot worse at the start and now I'm getting lower pad weights and things are improving. Um, I think that can be motivational as well. Oh, exactly. Jamie, I, one of the things that I also want to ask you about today is um, is the idea of the ultrasound. And I know that the patients we speak to um, that have had an ultrasound, a live ultrasound of their pelvic floor as they're doing the exercises, um, find it beneficial. They tend to say it really reinforces what's going on. Do you care to, do you care to, to throw your two bobs in on that? Do you do it? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so um, over the last couple of years, I've, I've owned an ultrasound now for probably the last 10 years. It's been really in the last two to maybe two years that with the, you know a fair bit of training as well as just, you know, just diving in there, that um, every uh, um, male that comes through my clinic with pelvic issues gets a transperineal ultrasound. So the, that means that the ultrasound uh, probe sits between the scrotum and anus. So um, it's just as the, I think it's the only way from a physio perspective to truly understand what's happening at that level of the pelvic floor. Um, and it's, it's the, the, the best way to highlight to that patient how to do it better. It's, um, it's uh, yeah, certainly there's a lots of aha moments when the patient can see on the screen that what they're feeling is moving on the screen like that. There's no other way. I, I, yeah. And so uh, transabdominals where you place the probe on the tummy just, just above the belt line, um, it by far does not even, doesn't even equal a transparently an ultrasound. So all my patients... Um, and I give them the option still, but I encourage them you know, very gently that this will be the better way to go. And yeah, it works really, really well. Because I imagine some patients, you, as a practitioner, you feel they might be a bit uncomfortable about dropping the strides and doing a, 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 a um, transperineal. But the reality is, I suspect that everybody's had their pants down and some of their um, 
sense of embarrassment's probably washed away and, and by and large, by, when they do it, they'd say, oh, actually, that's great. It's one yeah. of those aha moments. Yeah, I, I think, um, like, I, I've, I find less men now than ever have got any concerns with it at all. Uh, and, it, and it's done with underwear stays on. So it's, yeah, right. So they're in a supine position, so laying on their back with their knees bent. And basically what I do is, is uh, you know, gloved on um, and I move their underwear to the side and place the probe in the right spot. So it's, it's easy, um, it's relatively quick. And one thing I've lo- worked out about the male patient is, is once they see it on the screen, they don't need to see too much of it. And I always ask them, do you want to see more? And they go, no, <laughs> I got it. Yeah. So, Jamie, just for the, for the uh, amateur here, what are they exactly seeing? Like what are you seeing? Like I understand how an ultrasound works and you can see, but what are they actually seeing? seeing on the screen when you do this procedure? Yeah, so when um, depending on whether their prostate's still in place or not, so I, I sort of highlight what's what on the screen, you know, the rest of your penis is out here and that's the rectum and there's your prostate and there's your urethra. And so what we're looking for on the screen is when they use cues like, you know, shorten your penis um, or uh, stop midstream is another nice cue, that there's a certain movement in and around the pelvic floor that essentially pull your urethra um, in a direction. So it compresses from the bottom and then there's another little part of muscle that sits directly above the penile bulb which then pulls towards the rectum and that puts a bit of a squeeze then on the urethra. And the way I describe it, that action, is it's like you're going to pick up a pen. Now, you can't pick up a pen with one finger but you can certainly pick up a pen between the thumb and index finger. Now, a good pelvic floor um, lift or activation is where you pick up the pen between your thumb and index finger, you can hold that there quite easily. You can press harder and harder and harder, and you can still feel you've got a good purchase on it. Now, a poor pelvic floor activation would be anything but that. But if you put your the uh, pen between the little pinky and the thumb, and then try to exert the same amount of pressure, you just can't do it, and you fatigue really quickly. So it's the transperineal ultrasound really provides the opportunity to refine what that exercise feels like and then more importantly, what it looks like so they can walk away and get that right from the start. Because like good exercise, it always starts with good form or good technique. So if you're too far down that rabbit hole with poor technique, it's really hard then to sort of bring that back. You just have to sort of learn things from scratch. And that's the game. We don't know the rules of the game. So let's have a look at this. So, so it's getting that link between what your mind's doing and, like you say, whether it's trying to retract your penis or stop mid-stream and what you actually need it to be happening. So you're kind of getting that connection because, like, I sort of know when you say that, you know, what you're feeling, but I don't really know what's happening down there. So it's just, just trying to get it to exercise right, basically. Yeah, it's um, there's yeah. been a lot of, uh, I wouldn't call it exploration, but certainly I've trialled these techniques uh and, and um, my wife has got better at using the ultrasound. So one of the cues I'll often talk to men when we can't quite get it right, there's something going on, I'll go back to now there's a clamp and this clamp is about to be attached to your penis and you can't move anything else. Surely enough on the screen you will see some movement and it happens pretty quick and it's in the right direction and that's a cue like shorten your penis, that's a cue like stop midstream. They seem to be... Well, we know from research, again, we can talk about the research around those cues, but they provide the best uh, area of pressure on the urethra, which is the male pelvic floor. So, so do people that have 
prior to surgery, like have do a lot of core exercises and have good core, is that of benefit? And is that kind of similar to what you're talking about here as well? Uh, yeah, similar, not similar, sort of like erectile function, um, you know, bladder and bowel, that's much more related to pelvic floor. So you can have a really strong core and then a hypertonic, like an overdeveloped um, pelvic floor, not a developed, but a tight but weak pelvic floor. So the client population that I'm working more and more with now uh, present with pelvic pain, not related to prostatectomy, but pelvic pain related to muscles that are too tight in their pelvic floor. So they're hypertonic. So then it's nearly, they may be weak, but they've got tight muscles. Now, I'm probably getting on a tangent here, but a gateway to the penis is the pelvic floor. And if the gateway is tight and shut, the nerve endings and the blood vessels struggle to get through to the penis. And so that's when we see those population with tip of penis pain, um, erectile uh, function uh, problems um, and alike. Did I answer your question? I went on a little bit of a tangent then, did I? Sorry. Yeah, no, I guess it was just in my mind, I just wanted to see that the, the pelvic floor and the core are different things. Yeah, yeah, like it's a different thing. Yeah, same body. It's still all connected. <laughs> However, for the purposes of uh, for um, pelvic floor rehab, so I, at, at this stage in their rehab, when they're seeing me in that first sort of, you know, zero to six months, if not a little bit more, it's much more about uh, activate your pelvic floor. And if I'm strengthening someone's pelvic floor, the cues will be, you know, using breathing, activate your pelvic floor to a certain level, move something else. So then it's about equipping them with, what can be there when they go to lift that, uh, you know, the mower catcher off the mower before, as they're bending forward, the normal activation for them will be, they're going to lift their pelvic floor and let's get better at that. And let's get better at that. So then they start to normalize these patterns through daily life. Now, if they intend to go back into the gym, it's the same process. And do you get many people or do you capture many people like before they've had the prostate surgery um, so say, I guess maybe it would only be if, if someone had started having elevated PSA and they thought maybe I'm going to have a prostate problem down the track. Do you have people that come to you proactively um, to, to get exercises and things to try and strengthen that pelvic floor beforehand? Yes, certainly. Um, it's uh, becoming, I think once they're diagnosed, it's, um, you know, you do a bit of web search and you look at this physio related to pelvic floor. And so then those, um, like, I think that, Men talk as well, typically. They don't always talk about these things, but, you know, they've got someone that they know that's underwent it and then they may or may not have seen someone like myself and then they'll be in front because they, I think men realise is that if I can get on top of these exercises now, it'll make things a bit easier down the track. And I wholeheartedly agree with that, that if I can see um, a patient that's pre-prostatectomy um, uh, at least one to two times pre-surgery, it makes that journey after surgery just a little bit less confrontational so that they already know, they've already, I've already spoken to them about all of those. Like, and again, education is key. So half of that session they see me as me just, you know, blabbering on about stuff they might think, but it all makes sense when we, once we get to that point. So, yeah, it's, it's becoming a little bit more, I guess, normal because the typical from diagnosis to surgery, I, I read somewhere the other day in Australia, it's six weeks. So, you know, they, in that six weeks, they've just been told, um, you know, you've, gone, you've done these tests, you've had a digital rectal exam, you've had a biopsy, you've had all these things you never, ever thought you, you didn't know anything about, and, and you've been told you've got cancer. 
And so the most important thing for these men, the only thing they really hear, which you could understand, is the word cancer. So everything else outside that, they're not really hearing. So I think the more that they can uh, work with people like myself, and as I say to the guys, you know, this is, this is what I do. This is, you know, I'm here to help you. This is what I do. Um, and let's get you started. Jamie, that's been, that's been really insightful. And I think probably having come from a, a background of teaching and, and dare I say it, drawing, you'd be um, not only good at um, getting the patients to hopefully do as, as required, but good at drawing those pictures. Um, so we, we know that all physiotherapists that are doing a good job in men's pelvic floor should be drawing lots of pictures of penises. So. Yeah, I, I just get carried away some days. And I, I always give my pictures to the client as well. <laughs> So it's um, it's it's yeah, it, it, you've got to have a sense of humour there as well. So you know, asking things like "is this to scale" or something like that—that's quite funny as well. So yeah, it, it's it yeah, it is a, uh, it's certainly been this little journey for me has uh, has really made me appreciate uh, the role of physio um, and how valuable it can be with someone's recovery. And so yeah, I, I wouldn't do anything else. Mm. Yeah, and I think your point on laughter is important as well because at times if you didn't if you didn't laugh, you'd, you'd absolutely cry your heart out. I think so. Um, you know, having that relationship with the patient, I think, is really lovely, and um, you know that's great. And we we hear that feedback um, from patients that we share as well. So, you know, congratulations and well done. So I think we'll we'll, we'll wrap up there, Jamie. Thanks for that today. Um, and I think our next episode we might do we might actually get your insight as to what the physiotherapist can do to help with Peroni's disease. I think yep. that would be interesting to look at. And I know a lot of the listeners um, that have had prostatectomies done might have had issues with, with Peroni's disease. So we we'll might dig into that a bit on our next episode. That'll be number 12. Great. Thanks, Brad. And thanks, Jamie, uh, for being our special guest today. And as Brad said, we look forward to having you back on our next episode. If people wanted to contact you for more information, are you happy to share some details, maybe an email address? Yeah, sure. Um, probably best is email. I do have a, a website as well, but the email is uh, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at setnumeral2physio, so settophysio.com.au. And I do answer emails, so I'm pretty good at emails. Not phone calls. That's uh... <laughs> well, Congratulations for being good at emails. <laughs> Thanks very much, Jamie, and we look forward to seeing you next episode. Been a privilege. Some of the information in this podcast may be of a medical nature, including discussions about medical conditions, treatments and other insights related to patients' experiences. The opinions and advice articulated in the podcast are intended to be general in nature and do not constitute specific medical advice or opinion. Please refer to your own doctor or healthcare team or one of the Men's Health Done Under practitioners if you have a specific question or concern. <laughs>